This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Waltons, Aluma Trailers, Ready Rest, and Hoxie Native Seeds. My guest today is the one and only Bob St. Pierre from Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Bob and I will relive highlights from a bird hunting season gone by. We'll dig into current events at our favorite conservation organization and preview the largest gathering of upland bird hunters in the world, also known as Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. Flush Nation, are you tired of lugging your shotgun through the fields, feeling the strain on your back and shoulders? Well, no more. Introducing Ready Rest, the ultimate shotgun rest designed for hunters like you. Ready Rest is a game changer that lets you carry your shotgun effortlessly for hours without fatigue setting in. Ready Rest lets you go longer and put on more boot miles. Whether you're a seasoned hunter or a beginner just starting out, Ready Rest is perfect for anyone who wants a little extra support in the field. If you've ever experienced arm, shoulder, or back pain while carrying a shotgun, Ready Rest is your solution. Ready Rest keeps your shotgun safely pointed up, ready to shoulder. It's the ideal companion for those long days in the field, giving you confidence to go the distance without tiring. Get Ready Rest now and take your hunting experience to the next level. Visit ReadyRest.com to grab your Ready Rest today because everybody deserves a break. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host. Brandon Morton is not here today. He is our producer. I don't know if he has the day off or if he just, you know, has too many obligations. But either way, he will be making sure that I didn't ruin this program by putting <laughs> it together. My buddy Bob St. Pierre is in the room, though, and that makes me happy. Bob, how are you? I'm good. You, so in the intro, you introduced me as the one and only. Yeah. There's actually... Multiple Bob St. Pierre. <laughs> Shut up. Really? So, have you ever met him? I, well, so it's a funny story. So, I, my grandpa is Bob St. Pierre. Oh, yeah. Okay. And my dad is Bob St. Pierre, but that's not where I was going with this. I, <laughs> well, there's a lot of Bob St. Pierre. Yeah, you wouldn't think so, right? But yeah. uh, the four and only. Yeah. Well, so the, the other one, uh, so I worked in uh, minor league baseball before working in Pheasants Forever. So, this is 25 years ago. Um, you know, you, you kind of Google your name, right? And see who else is out there. <laughs> and this was early days of the internet, right? So I Googled my name and there's, and, and on the, so I'm working for the St. Saint Paul Saints and I Googled my name in baseball reference. Um, I played baseball, but I never played professionally. So up <laughs> in uh, a Bobby St. Pierre Bobby. popped up, <laughs> which is what, Every girlfriend, my wife, my mom calls me Bobby St. Pierre. Really? But I, anyways, I, I Googled it. Bobby St. Pierre comes up. Minor league player drafted by the Yankees. He was playing for Tampa. Uh, I think he was a left-handed pitcher. Might have been a right hand. He was a pitcher for sure. And uh, so I knew this guy existed out there, right? This is a complete left turn from where you thought this was going to go. <laughs> I never know where we're going to yeah, go. I know, I know. Yeah. So... I, I knew that this guy existed and the saints was an independent minor league team at the time. So we never were affiliated with a major league team. It was always, um, players on their, basically their last chance or given their first chance. So we had Daryl strawberry after he got busted for drugs, yep. came and tried to 
uh, get a contract, which he did. Yep. And signed with the Yankees and won World Series after that. Uh, Jack Morris, it was the last place he p- played before he retired for good. J.D. Drew, a guy that um, got drafted but held out a whole year to get a bigger contract. Um, people that broke their arm and tried to rehab, like they're, they're the castaways, right? So every winter after players got released before the draft, we'd get a surge of calls for people, players looking to get signed. So they'd call the Saints. They'd, they'd call, call the Saints. And, you know, there were seven employees, right? So I was you the assistant general manager. Yeah. and <laughs> So they like, were calling you? They were calling anybody that picked up the phone, right? Like, it, <laughs> this was circa... 1998, yeah. 1999. So it was like, um, we'd, we'd pick up the phone and you'd never knew if it was an advertiser, a season ticket holder, or like Garth Brooks called up one time looking. Shut I, up. I Did you to, answer? I, I didn't answer that one. Bill Fanning, who was the general manager at the time, was like, yeah, this is Garth. This <laughs> like bullshit. You know? Right. <laughs> but it was. Garth, oh my goodness. So I picked up the phone. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how I get a tryout. I'm like, okay, what's your name? Uh, you know, we, and he's like, Bobby St. Pierre. He's like, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no like, way. Like, you know, Bellows, my buddy who worked right across the queue from me, Brian Bellows, not the Brian Bellows that played for the North Star. Same. Oh, really? He, That's who I thought right yeah, away. He, I, works, I went North Star. he works for the wild now. Brian Bellows spells his name B-R-Y-A-N as opposed to B-R-I-A-N. Two different guys, but again. Same name. <laughs> anyway, and he wasn't <laughs> behind me. I'm like, Bellows, you, uh, uh, you know, you're just trying to yank my chain here. And he's like, and, and the guy on the other end of the line's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. My name's Bobby St. Pierre. He's like, no, my name's Bob St. Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> Did you meet him in person? I, I never met him in person. He didn't get a tryout. Oh. Um, but, so when you said. When, when you just said about looking never behind your shoulder to see if Bellows was calling. I had a buddy that used to do that to me when I had a guide, you know, when I was running my guide service. Right, right. And that's the hard part about having your cell, your personal cell phone number be your business number. Right. And. He would do this from time to time where he would call and punk, try to have an, yeah, he would punk me. <laughs> and I, he, I'm, I am positive that I scared away real customers <laughs> because if they acted really bizarre and asked me weird questions, I just I was like, Kevin, knock it off. And they're like, uh, no, this is, uh, this is Billy. And I'm like, no, this is not, not you know, and so. Yeah. I for sure hung up the phone on customers thinking that it was my buddy who was punking me. And I would call him afterwards. I'm like, knock it off. I'm trying to make a living here. Right. <laughs> so it, 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 that was the funny <laughs> component back in the day, right? You wouldn't get routed to the exact person. You'd get routed to a switchboard and then they'd have to transfer, right? And yeah. You, you just never know. What was like the star number or something that you could like? Right. Go back and find out right. who it was that called you. So <laughs> it, it, the la- I'm sorry, I've taken you on a way no, far time. But the, the other one, um, so my buddy Bellows, mm-hmm. and I, you, Brian Bellows, who there's a... Not the Brian Bellows, but... But, but right, there's an NHL player, was yeah. an NHL player named Brian Bellows. So we had this game on Friday nights at the Saints called Celebrity Pick. So... It was in the tailgating area of the parking lot where we'd bring a celebrity, you know, I think Dante Culpepper 
played Celebrity Pig and uh, different... Celebrity uh, Pig. Pig, like P-I-G. basketball. Yes. Right? Against fans. Like Not they, to be confused with the running of the pigs that you guys were, also would do during we games. Did, yeah, the, the mascot was a pig. <laughs> yes. uh, but, but we'd have a different celebrity on Friday night that would play the game of pig basketball with people in the crowd. And um, one guy, so Brian Bellows was in charge of finding the celebrity. And he left a voicemail for Herb Brooks, uh, who is former legendary, legendary uh, Miracle on Ice hockey mm-hmm. coach, um, professional coach. I think he coached the Devils, maybe the Penguins, St. Cloud State University, University of Minnesota. Legendary. You say that name in Minnesota. And- Everybody. He's knows. a Hall of Fame hockey yes. coach. And anyway, so Herb Brooks calls back and he thinks he's getting punk <laughs> because he's calling back Brian Bellows at a baseball team, not at a, and he's giving him giving my buddy lighting Bellows him lighting him up like oh. what the hell are you it, like no, I'm just watching a couple and it was you know, I'm hearing it. On the back end, because yeah. we didn't have offices. We were just in a bullpen area, and we'd hear everybody's Oh, story. gosh. I mean, those kind of pranks are the best. We've pulled pranks on other right. employees here in the office, too. And one time, like, the cops got called. Because, <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to get him back. He figured out who it was, and then he called the cops, and he had the cops, a buddy prank call back saying, hey, this is, uh, you know, uh, whatever county sheriff uh-huh. calling, um, you know, this is a federal offense. And now the other, now this, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but this other employee is just sweating, thinking that the cops are really, oh, it's so much fun. Oh, gosh. We could tell some of these behind the scenes stories forever. Bob, like you've, um, you've had an awesome career. You know, and and your stories are great. I love having the, you know the opportunity to sit down and do these kind of shows together because we'll get into the hunting eventually. Yeah. Here, but like, <laughs> you know, you play back every once in a while. You, we mentioned hockey here, and I've got a hockey tournament later today mm. and this whole weekend. My kids are in hockey. I'm the hockey dad now that I just all in. Yeah. You know, because my kids are in, and it's a different world. But like, I just go back to you play. You you saying the. Let's play <laughs> hockey in your Minnesota Wild. Yeah, um, it was that uh, we're so it was the Wild we're playing the Predators. So it it, it was a Gander Mountain sponsored game, mm-hmm. and I, as you know, co-host a outdoors radio show in town uh, with the Captain Billy Hildebrand on K Fan, which is the radio home of the Wild, and. Uh, so I was really blessed by a combination of Gander and K-Fan saying, well, why don't you do Let's Play Hockey at the Wild? And the Wild said, sure. Were you just shaking? Um, so I, I do, obviously, like you, I do a lot of public speaking. Yep. I don't get super nervous public speaking. Um, but, you know, when, you, when you're standing over, in the Wild sell out every game. Every game. And you're standing, looking at the bowl. And that wasn't a big deal until... I kind of looked up and I saw myself on the jumbo truck. Right. And now you've got 35,000 people that well, it was all 18,000. Their... Oh, 18? I thought it was, I thought their sellout was 33. It's 18. Is but it? there were a lot of people watching yeah. at home yeah. too, right? Oh, yeah, everybody. Uh, but it felt like 3 million, yes. right? Because <laughs> you see yourself on the jumbotron looking. And, uh, but I was like, you know what? I'm only going to do this once in my life and I'm just going to go for it. So that Nashville Predators, uh, the team were, the while we're playing so i said 
All right, wild fans, it's time to go predator hunting. <laughs> oh. Let's play hockey. Everybody, and you get eighteen thousand that finishes the line for you. Yeah. That's the best part. And so it's super fun. I still get trolled by the morning show. Um, the K fan morning show because they're like, how does this guy get to do let's play hockey? Uh, but Corey Cove loves the outdoor block, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's always talking about <laughs> captain and uh, tackle Terry Tuma, Stan Tequila, yes, yeah. So, so some, some fun uh, uh, interstation rivalry there. So, that is because I am a huge wild fan too, mm. a huge hockey fan. That is. I think, like, towards the top of my bucket list of things to do someday was, if I ever have the chance to do Let's Play Hockey. It was, it was, I think the, we did a promotion, Pheasants Forever did a promotion with the Detroit Tigers. Um, uh, like, 2018, 2019, and I got to go on the field for that. And that was probably um, the, the coolest thing. Because, you know, I'm a Detroit Tiger fan since I'm knee-high to a toadstool. My dogs have Michigan-oriented names, so that was probably the coolest thing. Oh, you're wearing a Detroit Lions hat <laughs> as we speak. Since we're in the sports, we got to yeah. go there. This recording is uh, happening on Friday morning, mm -hmm. January 19th. Mm -hmm. As it stands today, mm -hmm. your Detroit Lions are still alive in the playoffs. When this episode airs... <laughs> You're we prefacing will... this because yes, exactly. we are talking about the Lions. This is the Lions. So do you predict another... Motor City meltdown for the record books, or will your kitties still be alive when this episode drops next week? I'm I'm a realist. <laughs> no, don't Bob, don't go there. So you I, sound like a Vikings fan. Oh, uh, Lions fans are worse, man. They're playing uh, the Buccaneers. I know, and that sets them up even worse. <laughs> they can win. So I and it's a whole matchup. I love the Tigers. I love the Red Wings. I'm completely all in. Lions, like I've been burned so many times in my life. There's, oh, there's been two times You're in my life. You're not a Vikings fan, though. So, I um, mean, well, well, I mean, you sort of am. Like, my wife is an over the moon Packers fan, which is bizarre because she. How are you guys still place. together? Uh, you know, and I, does Meredith call you Bobby? Uh, sometimes. Does yeah, she? yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, she loves the Packers. What that does for, and I'm not a huge NFL fan. Um, and what that does for me is I get to go bird hunting every single Sunday of the season with, with zero concern. And she's yelling at the TV. She's watching, she's watching Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. I mean, she just, she loves the Packers and, um, yeah, so, so long winded, um, the Lions are going to lose to the Buccaneers. No doubt about it. They're the same old Lions. It'll happen if they don't, uh, Great. I, I will be shocked. I am going to tell you, Bob, I just feel like this is something is happening over there and the Lions are going to pull this one out. They're this not game going, or the Super Bowl? No, I'm not. No, no, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> they're going to win one more. Crit, well, That's going to be my prediction. They're going to win this weekend. It certainly would appear they have a good path to get to the NFC. Now, if the roles are reversed and you were, the Vikings were in it and you were asking me about it, I'd say, oh, yeah, we're out. Yeah. This is, we're going yeah, to kick left. wide left. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this is episode 199. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And next week, we're going to be celebrating 
200. I don't know what we're going to do yet. <laughs> um, last week, we had our podcast listeners join us, and there's a lot more stories. So I think I might either do that or relive some of our favorite moments. I'm not sure. But you have celebrated so many milestones at Pheasants Forever. How many are you guys up to on, on pod- the Wing podcast? Um, I think... I'm at like 248, okay. somewhere in that neighborhood. Any highlights from you since you started recording podcasts or things that you've maybe learned about the hunting world and bird hunters in particular? Yeah, um, I was a long time holdout against podcasts. Why? Uh, so, so Andrew Vavra and back in the day, Anthony Hauk, uh, mm-hmm. two of my coworkers, yeah, we got to start a podcast. I'm like, you guys are out of your mind. I get up every Friday or Saturday morning at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. I, it, to get up and go do KFAN. Every Saturday for, I think I'm on like 13 years, not paid, like to get up and do KFAN on Saturday morning. It's remarkable like, that it, you've stuck it out this long. And it's, and it's great. I'm not I complaining, but my, my point is like, if people want to listen to, to me talk about bird hunting in the outdoors, just yeah. they can podcast KFAN. Yeah. And um, that was narrow-minded of me. <laughs> <laughs> I was protecting my time a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been eye-opening to how many people um, listen. You know, I think there's two big audiences for podcast listening, uh, at least on the wing. Um, the binge listener that's driving, you know, five states away to go on a long distance hunting trip and they're just listen one after the next. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the, the listener every single episode. They, you know, they listen as they commute into work and in yeah. home. Um, and, and yeah, it's amazing how many people uh, listen. There's lots of high points, you know, a couple that immediately come to mind. There was one, I want to say in the, 30s episode 32 or something with dennis anderson um who's the currently the star tribune um outdoors editor but back in the day one of the founding um minds behind the creation of pheasants forever so if you want to go back and listen to the episode with dennis talking about how pheasants forever came to be an organization that was for sure one of my all-time favorite episodes Mm, that's one that I remember from years ago because I want to say close to it's probably four, four years. years ago, yeah, something yeah. like that. And um, you know, you've had a lot of fun ones too. And I've I've been fortunate to join you from time to right time, yeah. and it's always fun when we get together. Just like you jumped on our show from time to time, and we've had other a lot of employees at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever over the years. Um, we just are always amazed here at how many people, like you said, just just want the, they want to stay connected to the bird hunting year round. Mm-hmm. And, you know, prior to the podcasting, I would take kind of like a little bit of a break from bird hunting, sort of, in that I wasn't so in-depth into it 365 days a year because I like to fish. I like to play sports. I like to do, you know, all a variety of things. But this keeps me in bird dog training yep. and all kinds of topics year-round and people are consuming it year-round no doubt about it i think it peaks in hunting season right as we wrap up i think it peaks going into hunting season like you know august like people can't get enough yeah they're just chomping at the bit Mm -hmm. to uh get out there and chase dogs around right 
Is your hunting season officially over? That's a good question. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just returned, <laughs> just returned from, from Arizona. Arizona. <laughs> yep. Let's let's talk about Arizona for a minute. Was it what you were hoping it would be this year? Um, well, seeing as it was a polar vortex here, here. across, uh, really across the northern, well, almost the entire country got snow and freezing temperatures. Um, in Minnesota, it was brutally cold. Cold. Um, in Arizona, I was just down for a long weekend over Martin Luther King weekend, and it was 60 degrees and sunny. Um, People wanted to kick my ass when I, when I was posting <laughs> yeah. photos. Um, right. uh, so yeah, it was it was gloriously beautiful. Um, it, it, the the mental debate in my head every time I decide to go to Arizona is: Am I going to drive, mm-hmm. which is twenty five ish hours from Minnesota, or am I going to fly? Um, this year, it, it, um, I elected to fly, which was the right call because of the weather for for me. Um, but it is, you know, it's, you, you do feel like you're on a nature hike because you don't have your own dogs. Um, and you, it it wasn't complete engagement on my part. You know, when you don't have your own dogs, it's kind of like, eh, just along to enjoy the sun's sunshine and, um, have a nice walk. So Um, the week before you were to Arizona, I did, I made the same decision flying to Nevada, mm. flew into Reno and then we drove you know, three-ish hours or four hours or whatever it was to uh, meet up with the guests that we were filming with. And I didn't bring my dog on that flight. I brought the camera. I mean, there's just a lot of things that we need to pack and um, with the temperatures and things, I just didn't want to fly the dog. And so I just decided in my mind, it's the first time I had hunted without Daisy for quite a while. And I've done it a lot in the past without a dog, obviously. But um, they had a white pointer, mm. and I just pictured that was Daisy. Like mm. she, uh, their dog looked like Daisy, the new marker's dog. And so I was like, constantly looking at my, <laughs> like I didn't put my GPS in there, but I caught con- like for the longest time I had to, like I'm so used to just looking down to see like it, mm. you know is she on point? Uh, and every time I would go to grab for the remote. It wasn't there. And yeah. I just had to keep reminding myself this is different. But you try to find different, you know, it's, my role is just to produce the TV show there. Right. So its story is not about me anyway. It's about them, father and son. And so I was able to find joy in in hunting through this dog that looked like mine but wasn't, yeah. wasn't the same. Um, hunted similarly. Um, you hunted with. So Kaharski and yep. So Matt Kaharski is a friend and also the chair of the board of directors for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And then Marilyn and Clyde Vetter. Marilyn's the president and CEO of Pheasants Forever and, my, and my boss. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marilyn and Clyde did drive down. Uh, they brought six short hairs down. One of them was Kaharski's short hair, which came out of their kennel. Um, so I did have my um, GPS paired with Kaharski's dog. So, but, you know. You mess with him a little I bit? Didn't, I didn't. <laughs> I would have totally messed with yeah, him a little I bit. I think he actually wanted me to help yeah. him with training a little bit, but I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. He, it gave him comfort that, because his short hair runs um, pretty wide, and he was like, well, you've got 
Libby on your GPS as well as I do. So he felt like a little comfort that she wasn't going to get lost because he had, he had redundancy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so we had uh, terrific short hairs with, with the vetter's dogs and Matt's dog. And, but, you know, for the most part, those dogs had hunted, hunted in front of their owners. Um, and, you know, I, I would have some dogs I basically, when I shot a bird, I'd have to call a dog over to help me find it, yeah. you know, re- retrieve. Um, but yeah, it was, it was different, but I, it, it worked out okay because of the, uh, like when you go and you have to host a show, you have a primary purpose and the dog adds a lot of mm-hmm. extra responsibility. This was sort of just, it, it wasn't the same level of love and enjoyment, but it was also like, huh. I got no obligations. Uh, you yeah. know, I'm just going to go. For, I don't have to film anything. There's no cameras. I, I don't have to, um, you know, take care of dogs. I'm just going on a nature hop. Do you, when you pull the trigger, ever feel like you want to kiss butt to your bosses and be like, <laughs> you pull the trigger, your bird goes out. Nice shot, Marilyn. <laughs> you nailed that one. Hey, way to go, Kaharski. You're rocking, man. Keep it up. Nice shooting. <laughs> um, well... <laughs> I maybe I would do that um, for Clyde and Marilyn, but Kaharski, no, no way, man. Well, he sort of is a boss of yours, isn't yeah, he? Kind well, of in a way. He well, the the way the structure works is yeah. the board is Marilyn's boss. Um, Kaharski, I, I guess you could say, yeah. <laughs> But, well done, Matt. You're amazing. It, what a hunter! Wow, good shooting. <laughs> We've known each other long before the uh, board of directors component. So uh, yeah, we just, give each other a lot of shit. I could just see you shit. out there though, 150 yards away shooting. Yeah, nice shot. Nice shot, Marilyn. <laughs> and she's like, I didn't even shoot, Bob. Knock it up. I'm not gonna fire you. You're fine. <laughs> it does. It does speak to you know. Here we are, all coworkers and different hierarchy, yeah. but very comfortable spending time together where we're not talking about work. Do you, I was going to ask, do you guys talk shop down there at all? Uh, we, so we were there for like three and a half days and you know, maybe 10 minutes. It was, oh gosh, I, I, if it was different than that, there's no you way. You might not want to go. I wouldn't want to go. I, you got to I could just say that Jared Wickland guys, we need to talk about right, Jared right, for a minute right. here. <laughs> We're just joking, Jared. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, Jared. but yeah, if if it was just shop all the time, like because going out on a bird hunt um, and dogs, you know that that isn't shop talk, right? It's not like goals and uh, membership numbers and things like that. So there's a there's separation. Yeah. If there's one thing that we live for here at the Flush, it's bird hunting. And we all know that you can't have good bird hunting without good habitat. Few people know more about bird habitat than Hoxie Native Seeds. Family-owned and operated, Hoxie Native Seeds has provided bird hunters across the Midwest with countless acres of premium native habitat mixes sourced straight from their own fields in the heart of Iowa. Perennial food plots, quail mixes, pheasant mixes, CRP, even dog-friendly seed mixes. To learn more, go to hoxienativeseeds.com. That's H-O-K-S-E-Y nativeseeds.com to order your own premium hunting habitat mixes today. 
The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, ways, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. You and I talk about this regularly. We end up hunting together, but there's always a work component, you know, like yeah. there's a camera following or something like that. And we just try to line it up to get out and hunt. And it's just our, our schedules during hunting season make it a little challenging to do that. But we both have the same love for the rough grouse. Yeah. And so when neither of us are working... That's a lot of times where we end up is in the woods yeah. because we just feel the exact same way about that bird. This was an extraordinary rough grouse hunting season. Did you get into the woods as much as you had hoped? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure people, you know, they were playing the world's smallest violin whining about going on. <laughs> right. right. But, but there is some truth in, like, you always, it, whether it's a camera or doing a podcast, like, there's some work element in obligation. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I, I certainly love pheasant hunting, quail hunting, but there is a mental distance when I go into the woods. Um, I don't have any work obligations when I chase rough grouse. Like we're not a forest organization, we're we're a grassland organization. So yeah, it's it it sort of is a mental separation. It was a terrific rough grouse season. Um, Best ever for you? Um. I don't think it was the best ever, but it was definitely, you know, top three. If you're looking at bird harvest totals and part of my hesitation in saying best ever <clears throat> is last, let's see, April, we had a really heavy snowstorm. Oh yeah. When the and it, everything and over. It, so my, my only hesitation about saying this year was the best ever is some of my favorite, um, places to go rough grouse hunting. Um, we we had this snowstorm last April, really really heavy wet storm, uh, uh, and the snow bent over all like the ten to fifteen year old popples, mm -hmm. um, didn't snap them, just bent them over, and it created like if you can imagine what a tornado going through your favorite grouse woods, but not snapping them off, just twisting them up, um, uh, you know across central minnesota into um kind of western wisconsin some of my favorite places to go it's it's legitimately unpenetrable right <laughs> with me and my dog i nearly broke a leg like trying to get to a dog on point and getting tripped i know exactly what you're talking about because a couple of places that i hunted on that eastern side of minnesota it was exactly the same way and it wasn't everywhere but it was in a couple of spots that i'm like Good on you, bird. You're you're safe. You're not. If you live here the rest of the fall, you're gonna survive. Because I mean, 
you can't get through it. Yeah. I mean, it took forever to get to Daisy on point, and I never did get the bird. In one of the episodes um, of this year's season of The Flush was at our Wisconsin Grouse Camp. Mm -hmm. My my wife's family is Grouse Camp, and it's also where we brought Dave Simonette in the Trampled by Birds episode. Yeah. Um, and, And part of that episode is the selling of that camp, and that would What's the last one? So it's somewhat fortuitous because that is in the epicenter of where these uh, these trees all got bent over. I went up that direction two times and I just threw in the towel. Uh, it, it was it was really really hard to hunt. Uh, so I had to find some new places. Bird numbers were excellent this year. Uh, grouse numbers and uh, even. It, it, the extension of the season because of the snow um, or the lack thereof. Uh, we, we had Meredith and I had rented a cabin for Christmas this year up on the Gunflint Trail, my 50th birthday. And we just decided uh, my birthday's right before Christmas. So we had a cabin up on the Gunflint. Happy birthday, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. And we just decided to kind of do our own thing. And we, we spent time with our families afterwards, new years and different things. Anyways, we, we had intended for this to be kind of a cross-country skiing. We're going to bring, our obviously, our bird dogs and our mm-hmm. shotguns, but there was zero snow. No snow. Yeah. So we, we went bird hunting um, the entirety of uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and uh, bird numbers, both rough grouse and spruce grouse, were, <laughs> it was just incredible. Oh. I had an unbelievable close to the rough grouse season. Yeah, I spent four no, five days in the grouse woods the last, out of the last 10 days of grouse season, I was in the grouse woods, I think four of them. And I'm with you, man. It was amazing. Except for further south here, we got all that rain. Mm-hmm. So I had knee high rubber boots on, took my dad and brother hunting one day. And I told him like, guys, bring extra pair of pants, extra boots, extra socks. It's going to be wet. But I had no idea how wet, because we weren't as far up as you were. We got the rain too. I mean, literally on the Canadian border, at Christmas, you're expecting snow, and yeah. it was rain. Yeah, and there were we got into this spot where I mean the water was so high, and I felt bad because I was totally fine with the knee high boots. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in I'm in six to eight inches of standing water walking through it, and you know like Izzy's on point. Yeah, and she's 130 yards, and to get to that dog on point, like she was soaking wet, <laughs> but she you know found a little higher spot, and there was a grouse there in this clump and my dad and brother trying to get to it and then took like 45 minutes to try to figure out how to get back out because the way we came in is not the way we wanted to go (laughs) so we tried going one way and it's like oh no oh no and i mean they were soaking wet Mm. but uh oh did we have a day it was so enjoyable out there um you mentioned the 50 bob as we record this Tomorrow is my birthday. Well, uh, happy birthday. Hey, thank you. And I turn 40 tomorrow. <laughs> so I got you by a decade. You do. But so my wife and I were talking about this the other day. You know, I still don't feel like I'm an adult. Old. I'm not an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. And they always, people always say like, over, oh, you're over the hill. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> we're moving the hill yeah. a little bit further. I mean, mentally, I'm still 22. I you actually know, googled I, what is oh, what is the age of being over the hill. Uh huh. And it's there's a lot of controversy out there, Bob. Some say it's 40. Some say it's 50. Mm. I think that you and I are both at the base of the hill, <laughs> looking up. We haven't peaked yet. 
Yeah, it, I, I could feel, I mean, I'm, you got to ha- feel the metabolism changed, right? Like A little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I for sure felt metabolism change at 30. It definitely felt it change at 40. Um, you know, I looked at, I saw myself in a video last April, like a year ago, and I was like, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Not good? Well, just like a little bit around the belly. And, <laughs> oh, no, you know, no, you no, just, Bob. You're in prime shape. Well, but it was enough to say, you know, I'm going to work out every single day. So I, pretty much every morning now, I wake up and run over to the gym. What's your routine? Uh, do, um, do an elliptical for half hour about four and a half to five miles and then lift weights, you know, back and forth between upper body, um, you know, arms, chest. And did you uh, notice a difference weight. then going into this hunting season that you felt better? Yeah. Uh, so immediately felt better mentally. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm able to, you know, it is an all nerf world at, at, uh, pheasants forever and quail forever. I mean, you have good days and bad days, right? Sure. So, um, Working out in the morning gives you just kind of different perspective. I'm able to roll with um, the bad days a little easier and just kind of let, you know, adapt. I just have a better mental outlook. I feel better. Um, Then I also, as I was, you know, looking at the belly, like, okay, Rooster Road Trips just... Looking at the belly. In the mirror, just you in the belly. Yeah. Looking at it. It, 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 (laughs) Rooster Road Trip and Bird... I mean, it's... Bird hunting itself is physically demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, different types of bird hunting is even more demanding. Rooster road trips, super intense. Um, you know, it's a week long. Mentally and physically. But, but particularly physically, what it, I'm thinking about just like day after day and, you know, hunting, creating content and nonstop. And then add to, you know, I'm a type one diabetic. Um, so it just adds some additional complications. And I was like, I have to just keep in shape, which is good for me overall, but like to be able to do this job, the, the content creation hunting component of my job, I've got to be in good physical shape. And yeah. it's not like I've peeled off pounds. I, you know, you'd look at photos of me and um, from a year ago to now, it's very minimally noticeable, but, like just, you know, the belt fits a little looser. Good for you. Um, a little, you know. Yeah. Hey, but, but that's but it's better than it, the other way. It's better than the other way. Yep. You know, I you know, in grand scheme of things, I've lost like seven pounds. But I've more importantly, I've converted some of the fat to muscle. Uh-huh. Um, and then the most important, like I talked about at the beginning, is just mentally. It just uh, just a better frame of mind. You get up early and just kind of get rolling and able to adapt a little bit better and just feel good about things and makes for a more enjoyable bird hunt when you're not, you know, day three and you're not in pain. Right. I, I just, <clears throat> a couple of years ago when my kids got into hockey, we have a pond in our neighborhood. I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but I have, you know, set up a rink. We put lights out there. We, I mean, it has changed my life to be able to have something so physically active Mm -hmm. through the winter months typically winter can be i mean mentally Mm -hmm. it can be challenging to leave the house in the dark be in a building all day come home in the dark and you don't have that time outside well now i have an outlet to be able to get some fresh 
air and exercise and skating, playing against those kids out there yeah. is really good physical exercise. Mm-hmm. I feel good. But I also have noticed the last couple of years that I don't have that same like seasonal depression almost yeah. kind yeah. of where, oh, yeah. you know, it just like I'm kind of disappointed when it warms up mm-hmm. because we're losing our good ice to skate on. <laughs> Two nights ago, Bob, we just had the whole hockey team over my kids hockey team. And we had dads versus kids, and there were there were thirty of us out on our pond. Yeah, we had a bonfire going. We had some snacks out there, a warming house. It was in I think it was like one or two degrees out there, and everyone was having the time of their life. Yeah. And I mean, you're just sweating, and you're. We had goalies in net and everything. I mean, oh gosh, it was so great. But everyone's like, this is so fun, and this is what hockey should be. Mm-hmm. And I've come into hockey late in life because of my kids, so I've learned how to skate in the last three years, trying to keep up with them. But what it's done for me mentally and physically is it's just changed my day-to-day. Here I am in a good mood in you know the middle of January, the short days of the year, and I feel great. And I want to keep eating well. I've tried to change my my diet mm-hmm. because, yeah, I'm going to turn 40. And some people that are listening right now are like, oh, young pup. But yeah. I want to be 70, 80 years old climbing the Chucker Hills. Yeah, right on. So I think it starts now. And maybe anyone listening might say, you know what? I kind of want to do that too. I, I don't want to wait until then to make a change because I know that what you just said, losing seven pounds, and converting that to muscle, mm-hmm. that's going to affect you down the road too. Right. So good for you. Yeah. And so I feel the same way about hockey. You know, I was, I'd play the pickup games as a single guy in my twenties. Um, you know, just every night after the work at baseball, I'd go play hockey in the winter. We need to um, set up a game. Well, Come I was, gonna, I was transitioning. <laughs> yes. here. So in my thirties, I, I or forties, I went from <laughs> hockey to cross country skiing more often as, as I've had dogs and finding places where I can cross country ski and run dogs at the same time, uh, which sort of sucks this year because there's, <laughs> the snow. there's no snow and yeah. not enough snow to ski. But yeah, like you said, the, it, particularly in the cold climates, trying to find something January, February mm-hmm. into March, sometime into April sometimes when you got to get outside and exercise, um, super important for your mental. Um, state of being right on South Dakota's pheasant season is still rolling to the Nebraska end of January. And Kansas yeah. too. Yeah. And you talked about not wanting to close the book yet on your hunting <laughs> season. Are those some destinations that pique your interest? Or are you more into the quail now this time of year? Um, yes to all. Okay. <laughs> I'm interested at, you know, right now work is really ramps up because we're heading towards national pheasant festing quail classic at the end of February, early March. So, um, there's a lot of times where you're working seven days a week, even if it's just a little bit on Sunday. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested. I haven't chased Bob Boyd's this year. Unfortunately, I've been, I've hunted Merns and, uh, or Montezuma, um, gambles, scalies, but yeah, I, Bob whites are what's got me like, ah, I'm not really quite ready to hang them up. Sure. Uh, we didn't actually get to this. Was it a good hunt in Arizona? Did you say the numbers? Cause I know that Merns maybe were not what people had hoped, but I, the other desert birds had made up for it. Maybe? Yeah. I, so I would definitely say, uh, bird numbers are down across the board, desert birds and Montezuma Merns, depending on where you're from. 
what you call them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say they're both down. Um, places we've hunted the last three, four years were dramatically down. Um, all public lands. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I still had a great time, though. You know, I, I yeah. mean, it's just, it's fun to see different landscape. Um, as you know, it, it, you know, the Sky Islands where you find Montezuma and Mern's Quail is some of the most beautiful upland bird hunting you can do. It's like if you were dropped out of a helicopter, you'd think you were in Montana, you know, there with mountains around you. That golden grass too is so Golden grass and the live oaks. Um, But underappreciated is the desert. You know, as a kid growing up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, Arizona and the desert to me was just a barren wasteland of cactuses and sand. Mm -hmm. And I could have been more wrong. It's, you get into the desert chasing gambles and scalies and seeing all the life. Um, we, we saw two bobcats. We had a pointed bobcat, a giant pointed bobcat. I was listening to you retell the story last Saturday oh, yeah, morning K- on K-Fan. Yeah. And when you called in. It was, it was amazing. You had my nine-year-old on the edge of his car seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not in a car seat anymore, but we were, he was in the back seat. We we're heading to hockey practice. So, and we saw, um, you know, coyotes and different birds. I didn't see uh, uh, any cougars. You know, we've seen tracks in the past. Um, you know, it's got to be the right conditions for them to leave an imprint. Um, but yeah, the, the desert's just full of life. And it's outside of getting poked by a cactus is really relaxing to walk mm-hmm. until you see the birds running in front of you. And then right. you it ramps them. up so fast. Yeah. And it's a different kind of a hunt entirely. I mean, yeah. we've been on those before and uh, things escalate quickly mm. and whoever you're hunting with, they're like, get up there, get up there. You know, like it, but then from the television side of it, I've received negative feedback if you have a good dog, your dog would hold those birds mm. and you should never be running, running. Mm. or move, moving that fast. And I mean, like, I don't necessarily know how to answer that because, yeah, I do want to be gun safe mm-hmm. at all times. And that is the number one thought in my head is being safe, you know. And so trying to move quickly to catch up to those birds, you just are like, you know, when people see me doing that on TV and they call me out and I'm like, well, fair enough. but. It's not, this is not a bobwhite. This is not a pheasant. This is not a rough grouse. Like, it's different. So yeah, it, what's your take there? Yeah, this is a good question because I've thought the same thing. And, um, and the birds, in my opinion, just act so differently depending upon the habitat. You know, in some cases there is, like, I think about scalies. Where you find really good scale numbers, there's a little bit more of that yellow grass. and they tend to get to some of those places and then hunker. Stop. And you can get good points. Mm-hmm. But then some of the places where the water just rushes off the landscape and there's not a lot of vegetation, um, and all you see is sand and some mesquite and sand and then a patch of cactus and then sand and some more mesquite, like, what are the birds going to do? They're going to run. They yeah. run from spot to spot. They may hold up for a point in the patch of mesquite, but... My experience is more often than not, they just keep running. So if you're out there, you just got to, you do have to hustle. Yeah. Um, not full sprint, but you do have to be conscious of if you want to get up there and even the best dogs. You got to be safe, period. Right. No matter what you're hunting, like it, 
one thing that drives us crazy at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever when we're looking at photography or watching videos or shooting footage and we have other people hunting with us, we have to talk to them about this, is what we term the Western carry. And you know what I'm referring mm-hmm. to. Like, there are people, particularly as you move west, which they carry their gun pointed towards the ground. Like, we won't use any photography, any video, unless the gun barrel is pointed towards the sky. And that's how we all function, and that's how you're taught, right? And yeah. when you go through hunter safety, yep. gun barrel is always under control, and it's always pointed to the sky. And, you know, with dogs and, well, shoot, other people, their yeah. feet, their legs, I mean, kids, totally. you know. So even when you're running, if that gun barrel's pointed to the sky, you know, that's, it. you know, it's, you're limiting your, potential problem another thing that i come across a lot too in western hunts in particular the orange requirements are different Mm -hmm. out west Mm -hmm. even north dakota i mean you don't have to have any orange on right so i always tell people hey i know you might not wear orange but we're filming here and i just would really like for you to wear an article of orange and orange hat if Mm -hmm. you're okay comfortable doing that because if not Every time somebody is on our show that is not wearing any orange, my email box fills up. 100%. And Same I, thing I tell the, the viewer, I said, hey, you're spot on. You know, it's their duty to um, make sure they're safe out there. And we want to portray that. And I do ask everybody. Some people just don't want to wear orange when they hunt. And um, it's one of those weird conversations that I hate having to have. I always, if you watch... I always have at least one article on whether I legally required to or not, because I don't want the inbox. I also want to be safe. And I don't think that orange is going to affect whether those birds hold tight for my dog that's running 250 yards ahead or not, you know, because they're like, I'm some Western hunters have written into me saying that it does change the hunt. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that it does. I could be wrong. Yeah. I've, I've heard that. Definitely, I know people that believe, particularly sharp-tailed grouse, believe that they can, hunters believe they can see the orange. And, the, you know, and like you say, in North Dakota, you don't have to wear blaze. So mm-hmm. I know sharp-tailed hunters that wear camo, believing that that's going to tip the scales in their favor. <laughs> um, they're very good sharp-tailed hunters. So I, I, I have I bet a, they are. But for hard, you and I, what we have to do... I'm, I'm with you 100% in wearing blaze. And yeah. we, when we're picking photography out for our publications, the Quail Forever Journal and the Pheasants Forever Journal, people are going to wear blaze orange. Or we're going to... Even if it's legally where they don't have to, mm-hmm. we'll take a photo and Photoshop blaze into it. Would you really? We do. Because yeah. it... Um, because exactly same reason that you're talking about, people will troll you and yeah. and uh, give you. Oh man, we could get into trolls. Let's not though. Yeah, so so we we believe in you know people should have the blaze orange even when it's not necessarily a legal obligation, uh, just for safety's sake. Right. Uh, overall, this hunting season, I know you hunted the prairie. I know you hunted a variety of different birds in different places. It's been a great hunting yeah. season. And, you know, some people are saying the good old days are here. They're back. How would this rank for you in your bird hunting career mm. as far as, you know, a season for a different variety of birds? 
I feel like, you know, from from uh, Hungarian partridge to chucker to pheasants to rough grouse to sharp-tailed grouse, you know, that upper Midwest and the northwest part of the country, western part. Now, I think bobwhites and some of the other quail species might not have seen this this rise that we've seen in some of the other birds, but overall, do you feel like this has been a good, great, average, below average? Where, where would you put this season? Yeah, so I put one element, additional element of context, and that's if you dial the calendar back a year, right now as we're sitting here, we were all going through an extremely brutal winter, Mm -hmm. devastatingly brutal. So I think the expectation was that there was going to be such a um, huge mortality of upland birds because of the length and the duration and the duration and the severity of the winter that we were all really, really nervous. What happened in the spring was almost perfect nesting conditions across a lot of the range. Mm -hmm. And therefore we did have, very good production, and we came into what I would term a good, good to very good bird hunting season. I wouldn't say it was great, but I would say good to very good. Um, so, but up against what we thought it might be, yeah, you know, we thought maybe it was going to be poor, or terrible to have it good or very good. It's like, hell yeah, that right. was good. Right. It, in my scope of time, I would point back to like 07. 08 as being the good old days and i can correlate that to the conservation reserve program that's when we were kind of at the peak of acreage enrollment 36 million acres and if you look back to harvest totals for those years um uh, south dakota was like 2 million pheasants harvested minnesota was 600,000 um, birds harvested 600,000 in Minnesota, you know, um, uh, like the only state that wasn't off the charts in that year was Iowa and Iowa has been on a long-term decline Mm -hmm. because of uh, conversion of land away from grassland to to farmland. But in 07 and 08, we had all those CRP acres. It was really, and you look at it now and I think we're at 24 million acres rough that's 12 million acres difference of yeah. habitat that's a third yeah and and i think we'll have good um we we all had very good seasons but mm-hmm. the harvest totals won't be anywhere near do we know when those numbers come in like let's say minnesota do they have yeah, them for uh, you yet no no they won't we won't have those numbers how accurate do you think summer. they are i think they're pretty accurate because they've been doing the same similar index I just wonder how they decades. get there though, because nobody called me and asked how many I got. <laughs> I don't report it to the state how many you, I took. You get surveys. I don't know when I have, Bob. Really? Yeah. yeah. Most of when you do HIP certification on your license, it doesn't ask you about pheasants. No, but you, you don't get a mail-in survey from different states. Some states. Some I haven't st- from Minnesota. Though. Yeah. That, so I think that's you're right. I don't recall giving a survey to Minnesota. Um, they probably. So I don't know the exact answer to that. I'm guessing conservation officers mm-hmm. checking bags um, plays into that. Um, so I don't know the exact answer to how did they get to the harvest total. I think that that'll come out in the summer, June, July timeframe. Um, but I, I'd estimate, you know, it was, it's not going to be anywhere near a half million birds in Minnesota. 
Um, so, you know, it was, it was good. It, the other thing about Minnesota in particular, the one third Southern one third of the state was tremendous. Yeah. Uh, but the middle one third was not, um, that's where, if you look at snow depth, I, I do think, um, it did like put a real hammer if on you Western took, Minnesota. If you took a circle and you went from like St. Cloud mm-hmm. to um, Valley City, North Dakota mm-hmm. to Aberdeen, kind of like made a, a mm-hmm. weird shaped circle. Like that to me was kind of a down area this year because that winter did really impact bird numbers. Even almost to central North Dakota and um, the eastern third. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I hunted with Marilyn and Clyde Vetter up there, you know, we hunted back in her own, uh, homestead area and we were just talking about how bad it was there and how there are a lot of places that are lacking that brood rearing Mm. nesting cover. Yes, there are cattails there, but cattails are wintering cover. Mm -hmm. They're not exactly ideal for the spring. And so what we found was just a lot of old birds. There wasn't we didn't see very many young birds. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, some of them survived the winter. It wasn't a good nesting season there. Therefore, we didn't have the, the great or good right. to great hunting in these parts of the state. And I heard the same in that kind of that uh, Glacial Lakes area of, of South, South Dakota, Dakota and the yeah. northeast part of the state. So, um, you know, areas that had the right nesting, brood rearing cover habitat they saw that, you know, the perfect conditions this year to create a, you know, a boom in birds. It was a great illustration of, you know, weather's local, habitat's local, and bird response is local. Yeah. Right. So, painting with a broad brush, like you know, is the best pheasant season ever. It's like, well, mm-hmm. depends where you were. It, it might have been in Marshall, Minnesota, right? Yeah. It, or northern northwestern Iowa. Yeah. Uh, but unilaterally, like I can tell you, you know, with Captain Billy from KFAN, we opened up the season in um, like that stern, northern Stearns County, Pope County area in western Minnesota. And it was not the best opener. It was far from it. Um, but as you go to southwest Minnesota, it's like, holy cow, do they have a lot of birds down there? So, yeah, you know, it's generally it was a very good season. But um, if you just dial it to look at one statistic i'd look to crp acres and that that's really a great indicator what the bird numbers are going to be we're almost an hour into this program and we haven't (laughs) even gotten into pheasant fest yet or the organization as a whole but where do we stand with members of pheasants forever and quail forever are we on the rise are we stable are we losing uh we're on the rise um which is great we've um let's go yeah it's excellent um because we took a little bit of a dip during the pandemic because Mm -hmm. we weren't able to hold live in-person banquets and um you know probably a year ago we came back strong and now we're up over where we were pre pandemic level. So that's excellent. We've got new chapters starting, um, all over the country, particularly in the quail range. Um, quail for the quail forever side of our organization is on the surge, which is cool because we're heading into our 20th anniversary year. 
Um, so, so next, love to see that next pheasant fest and quail classic will be the 20th anniversary of quail forever. But, um, yeah, member numbers. Does that uh, mean we're going to quail country? Uh, we're heading that direction. I can't announce where, but, but it'll have a little, uh, definitely a little quail flavor next year. Um, so quail numbers, quail, well, membership numbers are good. Acre numbers. Uh, we'll release our annual report here next week and our acre number will be at all time high, uh, revenue, which leads to acres, be yeah. it, um, near an all time high. Um, so yeah, the organization's super healthy. Um, you know, Marilyn Vetter as our new president and CEO, well, I can't say new for much longer because we're at about the one year mark. Yeah. Um, you know, a great blend of smooth transition with uh, infusion of new leadership and, you know, energy. Um, not that Howard ever lacked any energy, but just a new style. Sure. Um, and, yeah, and they bring changes. But without, like, you know, I've never felt like, holy shit, I got to find a new job, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, which yeah. I think is important for an organization that's healthy and stable. but you know, you have a new boss that is like, hell yeah, let's go get that. Mm -hmm. Let's go do that. So, so, um, great stability, but great trajectory of growth too. So it's been a wonderful blend. She's done an outstanding job. Um, just great style of leadership and vision and, um, the organization's pointed North. I love it. I love it. Nice shot, Marilyn. You hit yeah. that one too. <laughs> Good job. You're a great hunter. She busts cattails. Like, I mean, she's like five, two. Um, yeah, somewhere in that range. We we haven't like done the measure the full up measurement not, of her, but you know, the like, three of us are not going to win any we're basketball not exactly, tournaments. Yeah, yeah, we're not. We're point guards <laughs> if we had to play a basketball position. But she, I guess, what I'm getting at is, I just love the tenacity that she tackles cattails and hunts with. I mean, it was really a really yeah she's a lot of fun you know we talked about the lions you know and dan campbell and (laughs) i don't know that's kind of a weird comparison but uh there's a little bit i mean she's got a lot of energy and um she's she's a bulldog she lives it she loves it she lives it and that's that's what's so cool about it too if you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. Now's a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. 
Plus, they have an online community called MeatGistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. Uh, let's say big picture view. What What is Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever looking at big picture that people so, that love the organization can get behind? Biggest thing that I think about is we need more big tools to create habitat. Um, and I'm thinking about the federal government. Okay. I'm thinking about a farm bill that we're mm-hmm. supposed to have a new farm bill and we don't. A year has gone by and we don't have a new farm bill. Um, that means CRP, equi- uh, every acronym. How maddening is. is that for you? Uh, it's pretty frustrating to yeah. look at the inability by our elected officials to deal with things that are so important to the average person, whether you're a farmer, whether you're a bird hunter, whether you just care about clean water. Um, You know, they're worried about things outside of their own constituencies. And that's really frustrating. Um, So the farm bill at the top of the heap, the other one is the, um, you know, what we've been fighting for for a while now, the North American grassland Conservation Act, yep. shortened the Grasslands Act. You know, if you look at uh, uh, State of the Birds report that comes out every year, you know, and the only type of birds that are kind of an uptick are wetland birds, and you can point directly to the North Americans Wetlands Conservation Act, which is protecting wetlands for um, waterfowl and birds that depend on wetland habitat. Well, there's not the comparable type of conservation tool for grasslands birds, which are in the steepest decline. And I'm not just talking about bobwhite quail and, and pheasants. Right. And we're talking about dick sissels and meadowlarks. Meadowlarks. Yep. I mean, any bird hunter can tell yeah. you the, the decline in meadowlarks because our dogs, you know, get confused on those uh, meadowlarks in particular. But so, so the Grasslands Act, big picture, needs to, needs to get introduced. It needs to pass. Uh, and there's, you know, the Recovering America's Wildlife Act is another. Um, and all of these legislative tools create opportunities for us to get a shovel or a seed drill or a drip torch to hit the ground because our, our particularly our grasslands, need management. So they're not seas of brome, you know, so they are you know, prescribed fire that's turning them over or, or seed drills where we can plant, you know, coneflower, milkweed, big blue stem. That's going to be good for water quality. It's going to be good for soil health, yeah. monarch butterflies, honeybees, and oh, by the way, ringneck pheasants, bobway quail. So I think you and I preach to the choir all the time mm-hmm. about this stuff. We talk about conservation and what we need and, and people listening that are pheasant hunters, that are upland bird hunters, they get it. They know it. How do we reach those that aren't listening to our podcast right now, but we need them to understand the importance? That's where I'm like, is it each of us grabbing somebody by the hand and saying, come with me and go hunting for a day so you can experience this? I, you know, I, I certainly think that that's uh, eye-opening to people when you think about people you've mentored. Yep. And I don't think you necessarily, they don't have to have a shotgun in their hand, right? Just go for a walk. Like, you know, they don't have to have a dog or shotgun, but just go for a walk and see the life that exists. Like I mentioned, walking in the desert 
in having your eyes open to what life lives there and what what what's, so yeah i mean could you convince somebody to go for a walk with you on a hunt yeah wonderful that that'll convert people really quickly the reality that's pretty hard, it's hard to, to do. get yeah. people to make that sort of commitment um so so it is you know new stories like it, it, old school in some ways right like mm-hmm. having journalists that are out there listening take the story of the hunter in the United States who is contributing Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Ducks Unlimited, Walleyes Forever, whatever your favorite group, and the things that they're doing, giving of their time and their dollars to improve wildlife habitat and public access for all people, and having this new story show up in the New York Times that demonstrates like the Blaze Orange Army and what they're doing to protect water quality and create habitat, and how it's benefiting um, the you know, the four person family in, you know, Tampa, Florida, because it's cleaning water that's going down to the Mississippi and not going to create a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. You know, it's, it's complicated in trying to tell a story that brings it to a local level through journalism is incredibly important still. So that's, that's a passion point of mine. I mean, that's what I went to school for is media relations, public relations, and trying to get news coverage of hunters were the original conservationists that the work we're doing to create habitat, grasslands habitat for pheasants is creating milkweed for monarch butterflies. And every Mm -hmm. third grader in the country loves monarchs or creating pollinator habitat and one in three bites of food needs pollination whether it's almonds or apples they need pollination and the habitat that we're creating for pheasants is creating pollinator habitat for somebody in new york to eat an apple and being able to connect the dots through third-party news story so if there's journalists out there whether they're outdoors reporters or you know, we've had stories in National Geographic and USA Today, and I can't tell you um, how important those stories are. So here's a great opportunity for anybody listening right now. As somebody who produces television, myself here, we have eight different TV shows. And every week, shows are going out the door. I'm always looking for the next story. The newspaper writers, the television news anchors, the reporters, they're all, does not matter where you live in America, they're all looking for their next story. When somebody comes to me and tees me up with something, I'm like, yep, we're on it. They send me the information. They tell me why it's going to be a good story. What can my camera see when I go out there? That's what I always ask because it's a TV story. It's not a newspaper. Um, You could write a beautiful story about something that happened. I need to know what's going to happen so my camera can document it. But if you're sending a story to Dennis Anderson at the Star Tribune or just your television, your local TV outlet, wherever you live, they are looking for their next story. So if you give them content, they're going to chase it. Yeah. And so anybody listening right now can reach out to your local news outlet and it's don't don't focus on the outdoor reporter. Right. Focus on the news reporter. Like you said, you want to reach a new audience? Don't go to us with that story because you're preaching to the choir. If you don't want to preach to the choir, go to a different outlet and tee them up because I'm telling you, they're looking for their next story because once that 
project they're working on today is over with, they have to come up with the next one. So give them, feed them. Yeah. And they're going to take a bite. And, and, you know, I, I know there's people out there rolling their eyes like, you guys are talking about newspapers. Newspapers are dead. Bullshit. I, and I can tell you firsthand experience, like newspapers still have the investigative journalists that are doing the deep dive into stories that the radio stations and the TV stations every single morning, they look at the newspaper to decide what's going to be covered. Yeah. In the radio, like, what are we going to talk about on the morning show today? What are we going to talk about yeah. on the 10 p.m. news? It starts with the newspaper and an investigative journalist that went to school to do that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's so critically important it still in today. I mean, it, it's the, uh, it, it, the checks and balances of a free country where we have, um, where we have journalism and uh, what, what it's called, the fourth pillar. Is that right? Something like that. Let's let's keep. We're, we could spend days I know, talking, I'm, I'm, I, but this is just good food for thought. Yeah. Um, last question. Big picture. Mm. Those are kind of what you guys are looking at the Grasslands Act, mm-hmm. you know, and um, federally. Is there anything that will affect the chapters individually yeah, that you guys yeah, can sure. talk about? Thank you. You took me right where I was going to oh, go good. with that because I was thinking about that too. It's like volunteerism. Mm-hmm. You know, we need people to get engaged in things they love. Um, and if, if you love elk hunting, go join Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. If you love mule deer, um, there's a group. Mm-hmm. We at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, if you love the uplands, if you love bird dogs, um, we could use you. We really could use volunteers to get involved at a local level and put your talents to work, whether that's um, helping turn dirt at a local tap, habitat project, mentor a youngster or, or somebody, an adult onset hunter, um, get them involved or help put on a banquet. But volunteerism. Getting your hands dirty is a lot of fun. Plus, when you come back later to see the results, man, how rewarding. Yeah. Think about it that way. Is there a partridge forever on the horizon? Because, <laughs> man, if I love that bird. Yeah. So it's funny because I just recorded a podcast about spruce grouse. Yeah. Cause, and that's another bird that doesn't have an organization behind it. I was like, oh, maybe I should say spruce grouse forever. Yeah. Uh, we've actually talked about. I would be one of the founding members of Partridge Forever. Well, we, we've <laughs> talked about a Hungarian partridge chapter of pheasants forever really uh just like me and a couple of the guys because we feel the same way as Can you I get do in on it right like <laughs> just just having a chapter within the organization just yeah and just hold an event where there's you know a hun hunt in in hun artwork and you know because yeah you're right huns are freaking Awesome. They are awesome. And I, I feel the same way about sprucies, and there's not a spruce grouse forever either. But Right. Well, they probably fall under the... Rough grouse rough society. Grouse society. A, a little bit, but they're kind of a different habitat. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, I guess I don't know for certain whether rough grouse society does spruce grouse. I wanted to jump into some habitat projects, some acquisitions. We just don't have time for it because we, I want to get into Pheasant Fest right now. So let's preview Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. It starts in... I mean, as this airs, it's like a month away. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it starts on Thursday, February, tw- last day of February, right? 29th. 29th. So yes. leap day. Yes. So first time ever, we have a, a new event yeah. leading into Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, which is our first ever 
concert. Can you tell I'm excited about this? The concert yeah, yeah. for conservation. I'm excited too. I, I am. I'm, I'm just jacked beyond belief. This is something that I've dreamt about for a long time. But um, you know, it's really expensive to to hire. Uh, bands <laughs> to play a show <laughs> and thankfully uh, we've got a band in Trampled by Turtles that uh, has fallen in love with bird hunting and concert. Mm-hmm. Dave Simonette, lead singer songwriter in particular who's who's a life member of Pheasants Forever and a member of Quail Forever and um, the schedule's aligned where you know Leap Day probably had something to do with it because they didn't have they didn't have, they didn't have a on show schedule. scheduled on, on February 29th um, so we, we have a, um, uh, our first ever concert at the Washington Pavilion in downtown Sioux Falls. As we record this, we got roughly 350 tickets away okay. from a sellout. Okay. Um, so if you, if you want to see what tickets are available, it's pheasantsforever.org backslash trampled by turtles, the full band name. If you go pheasantsforever or quailforever.org slash trampled, You'll be able to see the concert artwork okay. that's part of a current membership promotion. And the artwork is just killer. It's got, uh, it's got two different species of quail in front and center, a rooster flushing. And it just, it's really cool. It oh, the whole, it's popping. It, yeah, it, the whole it, trampled um, initiative that you guys have had for the last several years is awesome. The artwork is, is phenomenal there. I've heard, rumor has it, Bob St. Pierre... Kaharski and the Vetters are the opening act. Is there truth to this? There is no truth to that. <laughs> I just made it up. I just made that up. I if took, you guys were going to be headline or the opening act, what would your band name be? Uh, Vapor Lock. Oh, I was thinking pointers and flushers yeah, or something. I, I've... I've taken probably three years of guitar lessons and the, the guitar teacher kind of just said, Bob, you're tone deaf and it's never going to get better. <laughs> Are you going to be on stage? You got to go on stage to introduce the band, right? Uh, we haven't talked logistics about that. And I was, but the, the opening act is uh, um, Muskie Chet <laughs> Sweet. Uh, from, from Meat Eater and Carl Hansen, a buddy of his from... Uh, well, I think his in-laws own Sawbill Outfitters up okay. north. Yep. Um, so they're the. Opening. I've heard of that place. Yeah. yeah so so uh, Chester and um, and Carl are the opening acts. There's rumor that Doug Duran um, is also going to play uh, with them a little bit. Or, well, what's his instrument? Uh, he's a guitar player as well. Okay. Um, and then uh, then we have Trampled as the featured act, and um, I. We have a new podcast coming out with Dave previewing um, the concert, and I was asking him about songwriting and his his newfound passion. Relatively new, he's probably been hunting now for like six years. Is it starting to infuse it into the music? Into the music, and he's like, "Yeah, it's starting to show." I'm like, "Hell yeah, it is!" Remember if you look when at the three the- of us were in the woods and they were just. We we nicknamed that day the day the doodle died, <laughs> and I was like, "That feels like a song title a here, song. Dave. What do you think?" And he's like, "You might be onto something there, but I don't know if you've listened to any new tracks that aren't out there yet, Bob. Is there a, the day the doodle there, died? There, I haven't seen that one. He did text me a new song that he's doing a song for a TV show, an animated TV show. Really? Um, which was super cool. We he talked about that a little bit. Um, but if you, their, their most recent album, Alpenglow, there's a song in there called we're all right. And 
within that song, there's a line, a rooster pheasant with razor wings. And when I heard that for the first time, because I still buy CDs, um, I was driving into, uh, uh, so I bought it, I think I arrived on a Friday night. I first listened to it driving into KFAN. And I remember like it was 4.45 in the morning driving to KFAN. I rooster pheasant with razor. I was like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. It's in there. So yeah, I'm um, really excited about the concert uh, kicking off the event. Well, he's reaching an audience outside of there you go. The choir that we're preaching Which to Which is here, why you know? we've done partnerships with the Minnesota Wild. Heck and yeah. The Detroit Tigers. And we had a promotion twins, with Minnesota the, twins. the Twins. Uh, we had a spring training promotion with the Chicago Cubs in did Arizona. Did you throw a first pitch for that? I, I did not. Um, okay. but yeah. All those kind of different sort of collaborations um, mm-hmm. reach different audiences. And I This think was like two years ago when Yellowstone was the hottest mm-hmm. thing on TV, mm-hmm. but they were talking about the sage grouse. Yeah, you know? and they're and talking was about like, CRP too. Yes, and I was fist pumping it mm-hmm. the whole time. I'm like, this is huge. You know, just just the there's millions of Americans that have no idea what a sage grouse is. Right. You know, well, and um, you know, CJ Box, who is a Wyoming writer, is the Joe Pickett series. He's written one story was um, largely about sage grouse um, out of that series, and then reading a, a John Sanford book. Um, who has a one of his characters that's in the series Virgil Flowers? Um, who he's a investigator for the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension and an outdoor writer. Yeah. He wrote about pheasants forever in one of those stories. So there's little things that create awareness within um, audiences outside of the outdoors. Very cool. So Thursday night, yeah, is <laughs> the concert for conservation. Dance. There's a few tickets left. Yep. Um, Friday, what? Uh, what are we looking at this year? Show opens at noon. Yeah, uh, so you got to come to the Bird Dog Parade. Okay. Starts at 11 a.m. Um, you were the Grand Marshal here ah, in, last year, in, Daisy. Last year yeah, the, with Daisy and yeah. your whole family. Um, Ryan Callahan, Cal from Meat Eater, yeah. is bringing Snort. Oh, nice. Uh, is he going to be the march? And, and, and Ryan and Snort are the Grand Marshals Sweet. of the parade. And Ele- is that 11? 11 a.m. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Denny Sanford Premier Center. The parade will roll into the ribbon cutting at noon, and then the gates will open. Um, right now, if you go to our website, pheasantfest.org, click on tickets, we have buy one, get one, BOGO tickets available for general admission. Um, that's going to go away. So if you're going to Sioux Falls, get in on it now. Um, but so Friday, the show uh, it will be open all day Friday. Then we have upland rally live music not trampled but live music and <laughs> this uh, is when bob and the vetters are gonna yeah, hit right, the stage right. vapor lock, vapor lock the stage. Take center stage on the rally right uh, and then saturday the show all day and then the saturday night banquet uh which you're emceeing and yes thank you for asking it's a, me it's such an honor thank you for agreeing to do it again yeah it's uh um and then we have keynote speaker uh, donnie vincent and mm-hmm. um Good news, we got an all-star lineup with you and Donnie. The bad news is that sold out a month ago. Which I was going to ask you when you said it sold out, um, how do we make it bigger? Yeah. If there's a demand for it, how do we get we more? We got to find a bigger, a bigger uh, venue. Bigger venues, and there just isn't uh, a bigger venue in Sioux What Falls. is your sellout number at? 
Um, I think we're at like fifteen fifty, okay. something like that. In some venues, you know, I think the Twin Cities venue was eighteen hundred. We've had a venue in Iowa that was over two thousand. Um, it, yeah, it's all about venue and proximity too. Because you know, we don't want to have a venue that's like uh, across downtown from where the event is because people are come to the hotel. They want to be able to walk, uh, you know, and have a few cocktails and make it safe. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's the thing. You know, two years in a row, it's sold out pretty far in advance. So, folks... Does that, that get your wheels turning that you need to figure out a way to... Like, maybe we rent Target Center out and uh, do the This is kind of where my baseball mind comes to is... Uh, so, the answer to that basic question is no. Um, I love having it sold out, um, being able to demonstrate demand and people got to be on the stick. You know, we're not going to sell walk up tickets that the the event sold out six weeks ahead of time. So, you know, make your decision, get your hotel room, get your tickets. Don't hem and holler. You want to, you're an uplander and you care about conservation. Buy your tickets to the, you know, the Super Bowl of the Uplands. And, right. I mean, and join us. Like when when I had the opportunity to do it a couple of years ago, that was the first thing when I walked up there, and I didn't have it like pre-written out speech or anything. But I looked around and I'm like, guys, this is the largest gathering of Upland bird hunters in the world. And I looked at you, I was like, Bob, can I say that? Is yeah. that okay to say? And you're like, I don't know of anything that's bigger than yeah, this. It's it it is. Yeah. I mean, there's no. There's no entity that puts together a bigger collection of upland bird hunters, dog it's trainers. So cool. The passion in that room, that building is I mean, when well, I know it's a lot of work on your mm, part mm. and your team. You guys do an exceptional job putting it all together and it starts a year in advance. Oh, yeah. And it ramps up leading up to it yep. because it's there's a lot of moving pieces to it. When you're walking around there, I'm like, How are you doing, Bob? I'm good. You know, like yeah. I always see, I can tell there's, you've got like a thousand boxes open in your brain mm-hmm. that you're trying to check all the boxes. And that's hard for a male to do because as I've learned, <laughs> females can have 40 boxes open. Males have one. <laughs> and we can only focus on one. Like my wife can do to- so many tasks at one time, but you do an exceptional job and so does your team. When it, it ends on Sunday, do you run home and just sit in your sauna? <laughs> for like a week another thing we talked about with Simonette on the podcast is our mutual love of saunas uh, sauna or sauna sauna I know it depends where you live it right? does depend on yeah. where you live uh, yeah if you don't own a sauna mm-hmm. um, it is the greatest thing after a bird hunt particularly a cold one uh, but yeah there there is definitely a relief um, Sunday afternoon after a great event and you know you start to tear down it's it, it, it it's a mountain of work for a ton of people yeah. um, beyond my team. You know, it's, it's an entire organization that makes this happen. Um, and it's, it's a mountain of work, but it, it does create a platform unlike any other that we can talk habitat conservation, our passion and the great things that happen to an audience um, of a wider general public. Again, related back to how do we get word out about all the good things that are happening. Well, Pheasant Fest is another one of those things that Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, and that's big reason why we move it around the country every year. It's not, if we just purely wanted to make as much unrestricted net revenue as possible, 
it would be in Minneapolis every, every single year. year. Yeah. Because that's where the biggest population of our members, most corporate sponsors, just it's like a home game. But that's not the entire purpose. The entire, you know, the other major component of National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic is being able to tell our story in media outlets to general public in different areas of the country year after year. Um, it, you know, in February and March, when we would really struggle to get a news story in the in the paper, um, television, and mm-hmm. um, so moving around the country helps us. Well, and I've heard from hunters all over the country that they're like, "See, at Pheasant Fest," and then like, "You're coming all the way from Pennsylvania. You're coming all the way from Nevada. You're coming from California. Like, sweet, see yeah. you there." You know, yeah, they, right? On. They fly in for this, and they it's do. become a thing that's grown every year. Last time it was in Sioux Falls, it set an all-time record. It did. I think we set an all-time record last year in Minneapolis. Yep. Now, do you think it can be beaten this year in Sioux Falls? Um, I, I don't, who knows? I hope yeah. I'm surprised, you yeah. know? Um, it, it's a challenge to keep setting records, right? And you set yourself up for failure when sure. you always just move the, the end zone a little bit further. Um, I think it's possible in Sioux Falls, just because if you look at, where the concentration of our membership lives, mm-hmm. the number of bird hunters. You'll pull a lot of Minnesotans would, over there because it's not that far. Yeah, southwest Minnesota, um, northern Iowa, northern Nebraska. Um, like South Dakotans don't care about traveling. They'll travel from Rapid City to Sioux Falls, you know. Yeah. They'll, they'll jump in the truck and go. Um, so in terms of an epicenter where we have the highest concentration of brand awareness, it's probably Sioux Falls. Um, it just isn't the population center that Minneapolis, St. Paul is, or like you think about, we had an event in Schaumburg outside of Chicago. The difference there though, Schaumburg versus Sioux Falls is you can go to Sioux Falls and be the biggest fish in the pond and the biggest event and people get it and understand it. When you go to Schaumburg, like trying to get television coverage on the ABC affiliate in Chicago is like damn near impossible. Oh, we don't want anything to do with shotguns. Um, So Chicago was a huge challenging market for us, um, media market, whereas Sioux Falls they understand the connection between non-resident hunters, enthusiasm, and traveling, um, people traveling to Sioux Falls for Pheasant Fest to, and the impact that has on their economy. I could sit at the bird dog stage all day, every day, mm. and just soak up that knowledge from all the experts that are speaking. But what else can people um, gain from going to uh, Pheasant Fest this year or highlights that you would point people to yeah I, I think, or maybe not highlights but just like are there anything that stands out to you that is new this year and then maybe give us a rundown yeah we tr- we try to keep things fresh and new every year so mm-hmm. p- people that are traveling from different places that they get to see something new um i d- you know if you've never been to pheasant fest and quail classic you have the tendency to think oh Blaze orange shotguns, dogs, and rednecks. You know, <laughs> rednecks. Right? Yeah, and it 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 is so much. It, it's a reflection of the organization that's so much deeper than just those things. Now, certainly, shock all the shotgun manufacturers are there. Breeds it. There's four dozen different breeds of bird dogs, and their kennel clubs and trainers mm-hmm. are there. 
Rednecks, yeah, we got them too. <laughs> right. But we also, you know, we have a habitat stage. If you own property anywhere in the country, you know, you there's a, it's a place to learn how to improve it for your um, intended target. Different wildlife, better water quality, U.S. Department of Agriculture is there, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, all the state agencies. If you own land, you can sit down one-on-one with our biologists, sit down at a computer, pull up a satellite image, and they can talk you through different state or federal programs that you might get uh, qualified for, might even get paid for to do different habitat work on your property. Art, you know, since 1982, when the organization started, one of the major ways we raise money is through custom and one of a kind artwork, whether that's painting, um, wood carving, sculptures, bronzes. So there's all sorts of wildlife art there. If you, you like, hunting curious we have a path to the upland stage with all sorts of people that talk about how they how they got involved whether that's through food like hank shaw um, whether that's through dogs whether that's through an adventure escapism you know we don't just come to hunting because our parents did it there's all sorts of ways that people come to hunting everyone has their own story they have their own story and we're trying to open up different outlets for people to get involved. We have a public lands pavilion to celebrate, um, you know, all the millions of acres of access we have. And it's not, you know, we can't just take it for granted that it's always going to be there. It's such a blessing in this country that we have places to go. Um, So there really is something for everybody. We have a youth village. um, We have cooking demonstrations. Um, the youth village is cool. I will say my kids spent a lot of time in it last year. They built decoys. They It's hands-on stuff that I think your kids, if you bring them, would really enjoy. So I encourage you to bring your children if you're coming. Bring your friends. Bring a non-hunter if you want to. Um, we have a... Um, relatively new a women on the wing brunch okay. that happens on Sunday. So if you're a woman that's listening and like, yeah, I'm interested and, or maybe you're already in and you want to feel a sense of community with a whole bunch of other women that love chasing bird dogs, carrying a shotgun and eating wild game. Um, that's online too. Uh, and, and that's happening on Sunday morning. So Saturday night banquet sold out is the Upland rally that you're hosting Bob whites and the vetters. Yeah. Opening act. Is there any paper lock? I just, I love Bob white and the vetters. Yeah. Bob, it's just got a nice ring to it. Uh, that's got about 300 tickets. So the concert's got about 350 Upland rally's got a little over 300 tickets. And then the, uh, women on the wing brunch has about a hundred tickets. Um, so things are, winding and you know if you're listening to this um probably a week after we record it um things are winding down you got to jump on it pheasantfest.org um you can get there pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org there's a tab right in the middle um but yeah tickets are for the the outside events are starting to wind down but the general mission those don't sell out there there'll be tickets available at the door for general mission very cool. Uh, Bob, you'll be all over the floor every day. Everyone. I'm going to be there um, as well, and we'll have a, a space. And yeah, the flesh will have a booth. For, yeah, we love to have you come up and share your story ideas with us. Tell us your favorite stories. Um, we're always, like I said earlier, we're always looking for our next story. So if you have it, bring it to us, and I'll, I'll tuck it away in my file for future years. 
I'm going to text Dave Simonette and find a way to get you in the opening act. <laughs> I don't know if he'll. I don't know if he'll answer. I don't know if he'll oblige. But I'd love to see you up there. I am going to the Thursday night show, and I'm pumped about that. I I just love the whole event as a whole. It's such a great community, and when everyone comes together, the celebration, the stories, the laughs. It's it's a great time. It's a weekend that kind of brings us back to hunting season for those that have had to sadly put their shotguns away for a little while here as we wait for it to open back up. Bob, you and I uh, could probably tell stories for a couple more hours and we didn't even get into, I actually wrote notes down for this podcast, which I don't hardly do anymore, but I, I didn't get to any of them. Really. I took you on a bunch of tangents, oh, but I love the tangents. I hope people enjoyed listening to it and I appreciate you making time today. I know your schedule is crazy yeah, right now. Good. Keep Thank up you. the good work. We appreciate you and your team and everything you're doing. Again, people that have an opportunity to volunteer, please check your local Pheasants Forever Quail Forever chapters. And we will see you at Pheasant Fest about a month from now in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We cannot wait for that. I'll be back next week with episode 200. Woo! I don't know what it's going to be about yet, but I just look forward to it. We're going to celebrate a milestone and uh, congratulations then, and then we're going to work on our next story because it just never ends <laughs> we'll be back then with another episode of the flush podcast